All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How are you? It's a sad day, really. I have, uh, not because of this. Well, you know, let me just set up the show. I, uh, Paul Rodriguez is uh, on the show today, and I, I've actually, I never met him. I, I know nothing about him, and that's rare because, you know, he's a comic. He's of a certain generation of dudes that I, I either knew about or ran into or looked up to at some point or another, but I really never talked to Paul. I never knew many of his friends, so uh, when I got the opportunity, when he sort of came up, uh, I thought it'd be nice to get to know that guy, so Paul Rodriguez is going to be on the show today. And the reason it's a sad day, I'm sort of breathy. I just woke up. I don't know why I'm exasperated. Maybe it's because I'm still in Birmingham. And I'm just, yesterday, I just held back, tried to, you know, hold the back. Hold, you know, don't, don't eat that. That, uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the secret slogan of the, of the South. Hey, maybe don't eat that. It's not that it's bad. It's that it's too fucking good. But yesterday, I, I basically, um, I had the day off down here for the work, and uh, I found a, 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 a interesting little uh, smoke shop, old school, place where a guy carves his own pipes, has pipe tobaccos, some cigars, I'm having the occasional cigar, I know some of you know that means that maybe I'm drifting back into the nicotine, but hey man, uh, you know, I'm, I got, you, you gotta have something, right? No, I, I'm not committed. But I went down there. It was actually in, in, in like an old house. And uh, it was called the Briery. And the guy hooked me up. The guy working there, I think his name's Aubrey. And uh, he, I just walked in. And he was just like, Chipper, I had to be the first customer of the day. And I just walked in. He's like, how you doing? You know, like right, very, you know, he was just so congenial. And so you uh, seemed so excited uh, to be working in a pipe shop. And there's certain, I, I realized, you know, he started talking pipes, he's talking cigars. We went in the humidor, we talked some cigars. We, you know, for me, I'm just a, you know, I'm just kind of a run of the mill, you know, attic person. You know what I mean? I, I like the strong ones that make me feel things. What do you got that's strong and makes me feel things? <laughs> that's how, that's how life's got to be for me. What, is it strong and make me feel things? All right, I'm in. But I don't want to feel things for too long. Maybe, you know, an hour, hour and a half. I don't want to be up all night. I don't want to be sad after. I don't want to throw up. What do you got? Strong makes me feel things. Good, hopefully. Makes me feel good things. Actually shuts out most things and just leaves the good thing. Or something. Just a little little hum. Can you get me humming? Is there something that you got here that'll get me humming for the morning? But no, but he, and I, and I never really met a guy like him. He's a full-on uh, pipe, uh, tobacco, cigar nerd. And, uh. Very helpful. Hooked me up with a massive cigar that I just sat on the porch in uh, Homewood, Alabama, I think it's in, and uh, and and smoked that thing with a cat on the porch. I read, uh, got into about 100 pages of the new uh, Itzkoff uh, book on Robin Williams, because I'm going to talk to Itzkoff. Uh, it's very good. It, it's so interesting to read that uh, that stuff, but I'll talk, to, I'll talk to you about that when I talk to him. You know, the, but the Robin Williams book is... Uh, it's it's good. It's it's very you know for me you know it goes far back and it goes to it starts mentioning people I've known or I've talked to or I've worked with and I get a little glimpse of their their beginnings. But here's the thing. Um, Philip Roth died day before yesterday, and and uh, I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't um, say something because he was one of the few guys who's 
whose books I would, you know, read pretty compulsively. I, I, maybe it's being a Jew. Maybe it's because he made being a Jew, American sort of uh, middle class uh, Jew, thoroughly uh, interesting and and defined and uh, uh, exciting in some ways, kind of pathetic in some ways, you know, but fully rounded. I think, you know, as much as American Jewishness affected Philip Roth, Philip Roth affected American Jewishness. And the guy has written so many books, and he's one of those guys that just, he, he was good all the way to the end, man. It's it just, uh, you know, it's, 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 not a, it's not a tragedy to some degree because he lived a good long life, yeah, 85 years old, but it, but it is, he's gone, and it's one of those things where I, I don't think he's written anything in a few years, and, and obviously you know, all the material is here if you want. And there's one book that you should certainly read. Like, I mean, go out and get it ASAP if you can. I mean, if you want to fuck with yourself. But I'll tell you in a minute. But the, the thing is, not not unlike David Bowie, who probably had a couple records in him, and I don't know if Philip Roth had any more books in him. I, I don't know. I think it's been a while since he's written. I don't know the situation around his death or how sick he was. I know he was sick a few years ago, but he was 85. Bowie was too young. But it's like... When these people that you know you've you've grown to uh, have a relationship with their work, and uh, you you see it on your bookshelf, or you pick it up and read a few lines, or you listen to it on a record or on your thing, you know they they it's comforting, or it's 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 there's something feels like home about it, or feels defining, or feels like something that defines you, or something that that you know was always there for you and and it is to some level as a reminder or something that you know you evolve with over time i've always thought that great works of genius sort of evolve with you as you get older you go back to them and they they take on a new life they imply something different they affect you in a different way but when these guys go off the physical plane when they shuffle off the mortal coil uh, paraphrasing wrong probably but uh, don't know much about shakespeare so you know, their absence, you feel in those days the absence. And then, you know, sort of the absence kind of, um, you know, hangs over the work. You, 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 and it's not it's, it's not terrible. I mean, it's it's sad that they're not around. But it's it's sort of nice knowing that these guys are on the plane with us here. They're terra firma, if that's used properly or whatever. And then when they go, they're like, oh, is that guy? Yeah, he's not here anymore. Oh, the books and the records and whatever. It's all here. But there's something permanent about the the mortality thing because so many of these cats who who do the big work, who do the art, you know, are really sort of, you know, fighting against the dying of the light, you know? I mean, the weight of of mortality. And um well he's 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 dead. But the shit is here and it's some of the best shit ever written. And the book, you know, it's sort of an outlier. Is that the right word? I'm like, I just woke up, man. I got to go to work. The outlier, or, or a, a unique book for him, was something he wrote in 2004 called "The Plot Against America," and it's a fictional uh, history infused with his real history as a child or a boy in Newark, New Jersey, uh, growing up in the um, I don't know, probably the 30s and 40s. Uh, but it, it really is about. Uh, it's an alternative American history where uh, Charles Lindbergh on a sort of isolationist uh, platform 
won the becomes the president. He you know, he, he at the nineteen forty Republican National Convention, he's nominated and he's uh, and he's elected president. And he uh, and you know he he was pretty anti-Semitic. He was uh, sympathetic to Hitler's government. And sort of, it sort of plays out like that, where you have an anti-Semitic president who is aligned with uh, an anti-Semitic government abroad and uh, how that changes the country and what happens uh, to the world. And it's a reaction from Jews. And, you, and it's, it's a very detailed book, well thought out, terrifying, and, and so elaborately done fictionally that, that it's, it's believable and, and certainly... It, living through what we're living through now, I, I think it's it's certainly worth reading. But maybe maybe it's not something people can handle now, given that you know we're sort of seeing a, a slow drift towards something awful uh, in the government uh, in terms of you know what democracy will look like uh, if it survives, or even if we you know ever had it really. But um, not to get more roast, but uh, rest in peace, Philip Roth. He had a a very uh, profound impact on my life and and um I don't know who I'm talking to right now but uh get into those books uh, yeah I, uh, here's a here okay let's this is a funny little thing that I had with Sam Lipsight my my buddy the novelist who I didn't I didn't uh I didn't uh bring up uh the other day but he he's he's finished a new novel which is fucking I'm just thrilled cuz I need it I need a new Sam Lipsight novel but um, Lipsight lends me his his copy of Sabbath's Theater, which is a great um, a great Philip Roth book. It's a uh, it's not again it's not one of the ones that that a lot of people read or know. It's about a uh, the the it's about a a former he's a the guy's a, a a puppeteer. He's a political satire puppeteer, Mickey Sabbath. But it's one of the it's one of the great sort of morally corrupt characters. But but I but it's it's a, it's a four like gotta be three four hundred pages, and it's a yeah, I just love it. It's one of my favorite Philip Roth books, uh, Sabbath Theater. And Lipside had lent me his hard copy uh, edition when we were living in New York, and I read the whole book, and in it. In the book, now you know Sammy's a you know he's a he's a novel he's a writer he's a great writer. So in the book, there's one sentence underlined. You know, out of like three or four hundred pages, there's one sentence, one sentence underlined. And I gave back the book. I gave Sam back the book, and I said, you know, what was it? Why is that one sentence underlined? And Sam says, well, that's the the best sentence in the book. <laughs> Completely serious. He was. He was completely serious. All right, folks. Look, um, Paul Rodriguez, a veteran comic. He's been around. Many of you know him. You know, he was, uh, you know, one of the the uh, original-ish Latino comics, you know, post Freddie Prince. And uh, it's just a life I don't know anything about. You know, he, you'd see him here and there on TV, but he's always been working. He's always been out there. And I thought I'd take the opportunity to talk to him. He's uh, Paul Rodriguez. The Here and Wow is a new special. It's available to stream now on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and most on-demand platforms. And I, I thought maybe I'd get to know him. So this is me and Paul Rodriguez back in the new garage. I, it's weird because like I, I was at the store. I never saw you around back then, but you were always a guy. Like Paul Rodriguez was always a guy, but I don't know where you, where'd you, where'd you come from? 
Uh, off the bus, really. I, I, I came uh, from Compton. I had just gotten uh, out of the Air Force, but I was there early. I was there earlier than that. I, no, no, I know, I know. But like, where'd you grow up? Compton? Well, in Compton, really, but my parents were migrant farm workers, so they uh, they stayed in Fresno, and I, I just, I'm just i the only one that left Fresno. I left Fresno because I, I had to go, so I, I moved in with an aunt, and then later on, my father had a uh, farming accident, so uh, it just so happens that Compton was one of the cheapest places to live. Yeah. So uh, I wound up going to uh, um, uh, a school right there in Compton. I, I, I went to uh, Ralph Bunch. Yeah. Ralph Bunch right there on Willowbrook, and- yeah. uh, Three months after we moved in, uh, the riots broke out. It was 1968, wasn't oh, it? Oh, wow. Yeah, the the original Compton riots. The riots uh, broke out. Uh, yeah. With, uh, I remember one of my earliest memories, seeing a uh, a uh, Sherman tank uh, parked right there in El Segundo in Willowbrook. And uh, I have pictures of, of myself uh, being the white guy in my school. Yeah. It was, it was, that's how black <laughs> it was. I'm brown, right. and I was the white guy. You're right. And uh, uh, I guess that's really what made me uh, be a comic. I, I talked my way out of a lot of situations. And did you have brothers and sisters? I did. And, yeah. And uh, my, I had, my brother George was a, a fighter, man. He, he looked exactly like this world champion Canelo Alvarez. My, my brother George has had. He's, a, he's not much to look at now, but he had <laughs> flaming red hair and freckles. He, <laughs> yeah. he looked the furthest thing from what you would uh, stereotype a typical Mexican. And because uh, my mom's German, she's yeah, of German ancestry. And, but she uh, was in Mexico. You, mo- they met in Mexico because there was. I guess there was a lot of Germans in Mexico at one time. A lot time. in the yeah. state, the state where I was born, in, yeah. in, in Sinaloa, in Culiacan, where uh, now it's famous because of narco trafficking and all that. Uh, but uh, I was born in Culiacan, and uh, there were a lot of German migration during the first after the first World War. They moved in there. Uh, and they brought the uh, they brought the um, the accordion. The accordion, <laughs> yeah. They brought the accordion and, and the tubas. Yeah, and and they that's been incorporated into um, uh, the uh, mariachi, not conjunto so much, music. Yeah, conjunto. Yeah, the um papa. Yeah, is, uh, you know a lot of those songs. If you if you listen to them, they they do sound uh, alike. Uh, I love it. And it, it was. Uh, it, it, that's where the German influence come from. And so your mom was a part of that immigration. Or yeah, right? yeah. My mom, every once in a while, when she would get mad, she'd, uh, she'd scream at me in German, you know, Raus! <laughs> I always, uh, the joke yeah. was, I, yeah. was a, I was a Chica Nazi. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, they're not really known for stand-up comedy, so I, I didn't get it from her side. The, like, the Germans? <laughs> the Germans. Not that I know of, not, but yeah, not, not, not directly. Not a lot of stand-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's weird because like, I, I, I guess there, I, I don't know if there's more tension between Mexicans and blacks, but, they, but there seems to be tension. There was, there was a lot of tension. Yeah. I, I tell you, uh, it was easy to, to, to be uh, prejudiced and, and racist. Yeah. But as, as time went on, uh, I made a lot of friends, and, and uh, for example, Kenny Landro from the Dodgers was uh, my schoolmate. Uh-huh. He uh, made it all the way, and uh, I joined the football team. I was the kicker, and uh, I, have a, I have a picture uh, of myself in, in the football team. Everyone's black by myself, and, and, and the, uh, the football coach. Uh, I, I wanted to quit because I didn't. I thought when I signed up, I thought it was football, soccer. Uh huh. You know. Oh, really? And, yeah. Because that's I, what you grew up with. Yeah. Well, that's what I yeah. it said. Football. You know, a foot and a ball. And I remember looking at the first time I looked at a uh, American football. It, it seemed like uh, the ball was uh, uh, was oblong, you know, yeah, and squished. Seen, right. Yeah. I remember telling my mom, I said, "You think we got it bad? Their balls aren't even round. <laughs> it, it, it was like a, a deformed thing, and then they would run with that. I didn't understand the game, but I could kick, and uh, I, I kicked. And uh, I, well, kicked. how old were you when you moved to the states? I was uh, two and a half, three years old. I, I have memories of it, very faint memories. Yeah. yeah. 
And my, your brother's older or younger? My brother's oldest. He was yeah. the oldest. He, yeah, my brother's, uh, I'm 63 now. My brother's got to be close to 74 now. And, and it's just the two of you? No, no, oh, no. <laughs> what kind of Mexicans would I be? There's a whole bunch of sisters in between us. There's my brother Mario, uh, my brother Javier, and, and my uh, my sister Ada. There. And you all grew up in Compton. You all, you're all all in the same house at the same time? No. Because uh, there's a big enough age difference where some people are out. They, they were out. They, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, most of, I grew up with uh, five siblings in Compton uh, that were still at home. And uh, the others had, had married and, and moved on and stayed in the ranch in, in Fresno where... Where eventually, as soon as I made money, I bought my parents a, a farm there. And you did? I, yeah. In Fresno? I bought them a farm in Fresno. Yeah. yeah. And, and they, they, they just came over with just straight up mar- migrant workers. They just came to, to farm well, someone else's land. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this, because I've never talked about this before. Yeah. Uh, I was, we weren't really economic. Uh, uh, um, we didn't immigrate for economic reasons. We immigrated... Uh, for more of religious reasons. Uh-huh. See, my my father, my mo- my mother was Protestant. Yeah, it's very very rare to have a Mexican American who's a Protestant. Right. So uh, I hated that because uh, I-, I lived a double life. I was Protestant at home, and very religious Mennonite Protestants. Oh, really? Yes. And, yeah. and, and my father was a minister, and uh, but I didn't want to get picked on in school, so I had a crucifix that I would put under a rock outside the house. I wore a crucifix to to be Catholic in. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, in school, right? And I was Protestant uh, uh, at home. Uh huh. But eventually, that would come out, you know. And I remember uh, my father was a pastor there at the Second uh, Apostolic Church of uh, Compton, and uh, he was I, a Protestant pastor. Yeah. So my, he did he convert, or did, do you not need to convert? Because he, was he was he originally Catholic or not? Yes, yes, he was born Catholic. And, right. And he, he converted. Yeah. He converted to uh, to the uh, to to this uh, faith. So, right. And, uh, and and they believe, you know, they're very strict. The women don't wear makeup. Uh, they have to wear long dresses. Uh, they don't smoke. They don't drink. Uh-huh. Uh, they don't uh, dance. They're very strict, you know, and uh, Amish type of thing. Right. And uh, I, I I love music, and I, I love dancing. I love the girls. I love drinking. I did everything <laughs> my father didn't want to. So my dad took me out of Compton uh, because uh, it was dangerous and stuff, and he sent me to Hayward bible college in in hayward california to be a minister oh my god to be a preacher and when i went over there i i, I ran into a lot of uh, problems because uh we were all sexually frustrated all the girls there and all the guys there because it was a apostolic protestants you couldn't do anything nothing, nothing. You, you'd go to hell if you touch yourself you know? right and every night all you could do is uh, and of course everybody was having sex everybody sure. was, of course and i, and I yeah. was i was having sex also and yeah and uh, I got busted. I got caught. Got busted with, I, with a girl. Uh huh. Naked. <laughs> yeah, butt naked. <laughs> having, having sex, and the guy that busted me really wanted that girl, liked that girl. Yeah. And uh, and I got thrown out. So. And he got the girl. I I don't know. I never saw him <laughs> yeah. again. But uh, it um, it my it caused my father a lot of consternation, and and then I had to go to, before the church of yeah. the board, and I was considered a backslider. And by that time. I said, uh, you know, Dad, I said, this is too strict. I, I, I can't live like this. I'm sorry to break your heart. And I got drafted, and I, I joined the Air Force, and I left. Yeah, it's yeah. better to be Catholic where you can you know, come fuck and drink and then just ask for your uh, apology. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I fucked it. Drank you know, it. I'm Catholic now, and I always uh, said yeah. that it's, it's wonderful because uh, Catholicism, you're allowed to, to fuck and to sin and to yeah. all these things. All you got to do is just uh, confess. Yeah. T- tell the priest who... Yeah. 
who probably lives vicariously through you. Sure. Apologize later. <laughs> it's all good. You can do it. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's one of the few religions that absolves all your uh, your sins. So I had to learn how to give myself the sign of the cross, and I had to, I had to learn my go to catechism. And at uh, what age? Well, I, I didn't formally do it until my parents passed away. You know. Really? So yeah. you uh, you had to you, you came into Catholicism late. Your right. birthright as a Mexican. <laughs> You should have known it all along. Uh, Finally, you come back to the church. I remember telling my parents, wanting to tell my mom and dad, you know, uh, I said, uh, you know, I want to talk to you. And, and uh, they, they uh, said, sit down, let me tell you. And, and right away, they, they, my mom said, oh, my God, he's gay. He, sometimes he's gay. I said, no, Ma, I said, you know, <laughs> I'm not gay. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I do a joke about that, but I don't, it wasn't due to religion. I, the joke was that I, I sat down and I said, you know, I'm thinking about being a Republican. And, uh, and they said, uh, uh, oh, a Republican, I wish you were gay instead, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and it, it was, uh, but that, that was the real reason. They um, very strict. Uh, no drinking. You'd go to hell for every reason. But that's why they left Mexico, you think? Yeah, they did yeah. because he, he, my father was uh, shot at and persecuted. For well, being a Protestant. Yeah, very, very. No kidding. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know Mexico had a, a war. It was called the War of the Cristeros. I think Andy Garcia did a movie uh-huh. where the, uh, the the clergy in Mexico was so powerful. They had a stranglehold on government. So these uh, forces, the anti-Cristeros, they, they, they fought. And eventually the, uh, the, the Alvaro Obregón, a, a president there, uh, won the war. And he was uh, killed by a, by a priest. Oh, wow. He, he was assassinated uh, by a priest. But it's a very dark history of Mexico. Mexico still remains... One of the most Catholic uh, uh, countries in the world. There's a city called Cholula, where there are 365 churches in that one city, one for every uh, day day of the uh, uh, year. And they would tell the Indians who would make these churches that the angels at night would come in and build these churches. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church. The the problems that that I've had. The only reason I, I call myself a Catholic is because if, if we are going to hell, that's where all the the Mexicans are going to be, you know. <laughs> so I want to, I want to join them, you know. It, yeah. Religion, religion has a very, very powerful hold on on the psyche, yours, of, of minds, and 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 of us. Because most Mexicans who come to America come for economic reasons. We came because my father was assigned uh, the to be the pastor in San Pedro, California, the the first Apostolic Church of Compton. Then he got assigned to uh, to uh, Fresno. And then uh, from there, he just in time for the riots, he established a church in, in, in Compton. It's still there, the Apostolic Church in Compton on Rosecrans. So they probably thought this was a this was a great deal because uh, I would assume that as a Mexican, yeah, to to do missionary work to get Mexicans right. to come to this church. And it was hard convincing them because uh, you know we love to drink. And it's but the Catholic thing's deep, man. It's, it is deep. It is uh, to the point where like uh, it's a lot of saints. There's a lot of uh, elaborate uh, uh, paintings. The churches are beautiful. It's a thousand years old shooting. Well, I'll tell you another story that's quite interesting. Uh, El Chapo, the uh, famous. Uh, infamous, Be careful now! I don't want to get shot. No, the infamous uh, uh, drug lord. Yeah. Actually, how I am related to him is because his mother is also uh, an apostolic. Really? An apostolic, and, 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 and my mother and her are very good friends, and I remember uh, meeting him when he was a, a kid. So your mother's friends with El Chapo's mother? They were, they were, they were, they went to the same church and everything. Is your mom still around? My mom passed away about uh, four years ago uh-huh. on Mother's Day. Oh. But she lived to be uh, 94. 
93, 93 years old. So now you're practicing Catholic. I'm not. I'm not practicing. Oh, you just... But I, I identify. I, I've made a commitment to the jewelry. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'd, I'd have to get rid of all the jewelry. The truth be told, uh, uh, the older I've gotten, I, I, yeah. I, I believe that mostly, mostly I believe in religion uh, out of peer pressure, really. Uh-huh. You know, it, it's a sense of belonging. Right. But do I believe the dogma? Have I gone to confession and all that? Uh, no. No. So when okay, so you tell your folks you get sent home from the from the school for fucking yeah yeah, and, uh, and then you you gotta you gotta sit down. Your dad's upset, yeah. and then you said you what you joined the service. You just you well you know, at, at the time I'm I'm 63 at the time yeah you had to you you I was drafted actually. Oh, that must know? have been towards the end, huh? Yeah, the very end. Uh, and six months later, uh, Nixon uh, did away with the draft in 73. Yeah, 72, 73. By then, I had already, uh, you know, back then you had to sign at 17 before your 18th birthday. And uh, lucky me, I was born in January, so my my, uh, my number was uh, high. So, yeah. So I, I got in. I, they give you the physical. And I went. I didn't want to go to the Marines. I didn't want to go. So I, I took a test. Uh, they, they gave you this uh, little test, and I went to the Air Force. I figured, you know, if I have to go, I, I, the Air Force was... Uh, you kill people from far away, I guess. Yeah, that was the that was the plan. But what what ultimately and what did you end up doing? I I, I got into communications. I was a uh, uh, a communications uh, operator, uh, and then I went and then I cross trained. I became a, a a loadmaster. Where where were you stationed? I was stationed in Iceland, Keflavik, Iceland. There was a lot. You saw a lot of action, huh? <laughs> I saw I saw a lot of a lot of. Uh, 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 seals yeah. and Icelandic women. Uh-huh. I was stationed in, uh, in in a remote area in Iceland, which is remote enough, in, called Hornafjordur, which was a radar start with 90 men. And uh, it, way at the very, uh, if you look at the Iceland, it has like a little, uh, uh, like a peninsula. Yeah. And we had a, a lot of, uh, we still do, I think, uh, radar sites that would track uh, a Russian bear, the 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 the, U, the big U-2s yeah. uh, that would fly uh, to Cuba. That's where they would track them, you know. And Well, it, it was a lot of boring hours, but what it did for me, it, it, it got me from the craziness of, of Compton and all of that. And I was lucky enough to, to meet uh, my commanding officer who took an interest, uh, not in a gay way, but he took an interest in me and he, uh, he gave me books to read. He said, listen, uh, if, you know, if, if you want to go to college, you use the GI Bill. Uh, all you really need to do is to read voraciously. And, and he gave me a lot of books that were very difficult. You know, I read Social Needs in Gulag Archipelago. I had to read it a couple of times. I didn't understand, but it was about the the, the Stalin prison system, the right? prison system. Yeah, and uh, I read, you know, the the, the ones that uh, the Animal Farm. Oh yeah, and I read uh, War and Peace. There was nothing to do. There's no TV or anything. So so you would you would read, and after a while you you enjoyed it. I must have for the year and a half I was there, I must have read uh, a couple hundred books. Really? Yeah. Well, I can't imagine. I'd never been to Iceland. Iceland's quite a place. It was uh, established by Leif Erikson. Yeah. And they they still speak uh, the most original uh, Icelandic, uh, which is the, the original Viking language. And it's a very, very difficult language. Uh, uh, it, it's, it, it sounds uh, like, uh, I, know, I knew a couple of words, uh, because where we were at, uh, there was a little town, Hofen. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, we were allowed to go into the, the city there. Blacks had to leave by noon, and Latinos could stay there till three, and then uh, whites can stay there forever. And, and that had been going on for a while until we got a black uh, colonel who was the commanding, and he he made it uh, off limits to all the uh, servicemen. 
And within three months, the Icelandics were at our gates begging us for, for alcohol and please come back. And, and, you know, nobody ever thought about doing that until we got a black colonel and he, he put racism to, to, to rest there. Because you guys were important to the economy. Well, yeah, not yeah. only that, but at the time, liquor was outlawed in Iceland. So we were the only ones that had uh, Jack Daniels, had these bottles. So you guys would just drive in with the booze? Is that it? And, and the girls would go just uh, lay down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> they, they were, <laughs> that was the intention. You know, the thing about Iceland is that uh, yeah. alcohol was illegal at the time, any kind of alcohol, but everybody was drunk. Right. They, would, they would make their own stuff, a, a horrible tasting stuff called kurdus or something like that. Yeah. Made out of goat balls or whatever it was. That right. F- fermented something. and. And uh, that's what they would drink. They would drink, and they would, they would, they would it tasted awful. Iceland was uh, they had a lot of a lot of Icelandic ponies, and you had a lot of uh, goat and a lot of fish, and uh, it was boring. It, yeah, the, it snowed terribly, and it was it was not a place for for any tropical. Cat. It was like the opposite from uh, what you grew up in. And totally. I, I, I guess on some level that was probably a nice mind blowing experience. Pa- it was palate cleanser. Yeah, I got to do a lot of fishing. We did, did a lot of fishing, but you know, uh, there was- Is that know, a hobby you've kept up with, Paul? No, no, no. I, I let that go right away. You know, I, if, I, I, if I don't ever see another cod, I'll be all right. <laughs> it was just a- Yeah. It, it was, you had to find something to do, and luckily enough, I, I got into, uh, you know, I had someone that, that interested- The reading. The reading, the reading, it helped a lot. So, how long were you in the service total? I did four years active and two years reserve. And uh, two years out back here? Yeah, back here, which is which is one of the one of the reasons how I got to know Carlin. Yeah, Carlin was Air Force, and so was Sinbad, and so a couple of other uh, well-known comics who were who were Air Force. And uh, I I first got before, signed before you started doing comedy. You got to know, you no no after I did I got yeah. signed by a guy named Murray Becker who was a legendary. Uh, he he was supposedly. Uh, the uh, the the character that uh, Woody Allen did about the uh, oh Zelig uh, or no uh, Broadway Danny Broad, Rose Broadway Danny Rose yeah he, at the time he had uh, George Carlin he used to manage Carlin's and Burns and Carlin Leno was with him uh, oh and this was the guy huh he, the, what Len- was his name Murray Becker Murray Becker Leno was with him yeah. Shannon Shannon was with him Murray Becker so but okay so you come back from the service and right. you're back home you're back in Compton. When do you start doing comedy? How does that unfold? I mean, like, well, did you do jobs, other jobs? Before oh, yeah. You- I, I used to work at a furniture a store in, in uh, Gardena. What, what I did is uh, I, I used the GI Bill, and I, I went to uh, Long Beach City College, which is basically doing high school all over again. Yeah. I didn't graduate from high school. It was impossible to, to graduate there. There was- uh, Two years at, at City College? Long two years Beach? at City College. Yeah. I got yeah. an AA, and then I enrolled in Long Beach State. And I went there, you know, Spielberg's uh, alma mater. I went there, and uh, I was- uh, I. I had a counselor there that said that if I, if I wanted to be a trial uh, lawyer, which I wanted to be, uh, to take uh, acting because yeah. basically all a lawyer does is uh, you, you act in front of twelve uh, people. So and, you were doing like pre-law. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was right. And uh, then, and then, and this guy, one of your teachers, recommends go to acting class. Right, and uh, and uh, it just so happens that the, her name Anita Cano. I had a teacher that that uh, also taught uh, Spanish because I was reading Cervantes uh, sure, yeah. and I was reading all of those uh, classics and she her husband I think was a uh, worked at a firm that did accounting for, for the comedy store oh. and I used to I used to you know make uh, people laugh in, in, in the classroom and Anita Cano was the one that said you know what you should go to the comedy store and she took me there to Westwood on amateur night and uh, the minute I got on stage I uh, it, was, it was an epiphany it was like a I remember I had no material, but at the time, the Los Angeles Police Department had shot a, a black woman named Eula Love. 
Oh, yeah, uh, I remember that. They in shot her front like, yard. In her front yard, yeah. she, she had a butter knife, and they shot her like something like thirty-eight times or something like that. And uh, the the observational joke that I did at the time was, uh, uh, they were saying, "Was this uh, excessive force?" And I'm saying, you know. They only hit her 17 times. They shot at her 38 times. So it, it, I think if you have to reload, that, that, is, uh, that, that is excessive. You know, the, the cops have to reload and, and shoot this large black woman. It's a sad situation. But uh, ironically enough, it just happened again in, in, uh, in, in, in Sacramento. In Sacramento, yeah, that poor eight, kid. 18 times, you know. And I think what the reason is, is is because the police officers don't come from that community. So they go in there with their stereotypes and they're afraid. You know, these are young, they're afraid. They see a, a black man uh, in the darkness. Sure. They're, they're going to shoot first. They want to go home to their it's family. It's not good. It's not good. Yeah, it's not good. It's, it, not, it's indefensible, but uh, they'll probably be absolved, you know. They seem to always get absolved. Yeah. Well, well, I, 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 it feels like the system protects itself. And I think a lot of us who, who are uh, just listen to it as a news story, we have a tendency to bring our own prejudices in there. And we go, well, what's he doing? He's black. He's in the backyard. It's dark. Uh, he's holding a cell phone. You know, all these things come into thought. <laughs> not, not th- in his yard using a cell phone, right. clearly a threat to everybody. Right. And what the, the, the police uh, commission will probably say, well, uh, they had reasonable fear for their lives. I mean, uh, you know, in the darkness, they put themselves. But in reality, uh, uh, when they shot, you know, after they let go uh, those shots, I have a friend of mine as a police officer who told me that when an officer shoots, he's going to empty the gun. He wants this person to die. He doesn't want this person to survive and sue him. And that's oh, that's you, it? It's about lawsuits? It's it's about you don't want this person to survive. They survive, they, they have the right to sue you. But it really, that that's what's behind it, not just a... Well, a, that's what he told me. He's a, they're not taught this at the academy, but they it's like something that's unsaid, but they tell you that's why police officers, they'll empty that once they shoot, they're not going to shoot once and stop. They're going to empty their gun. And now think about all these shootings that have been going on. Uh, Brown yeah. in Missouri, they emptied their gun. You know, they, they, they don't shoot just once and go, maybe that's enough. Maybe he got it. No, they shoot the kill. They don't shoot the maim or the, you know, these, these things about not uh, shooting a gun off. I, I guess the real, the, the real question is the decision to shoot. Yeah. That, once that first I, bullet goes, that, all of them are going to go. No, I, that, that, that's clear. You know, yeah. Once, yeah. Once it starts, it And goes. that's it. They don't want this person to survive. You're shot. You, you should be dead. What year was it that you went down the, the Westwood store? It had to be well. Let's see. Uh, I was in. I got out of service in seventy-seven, and eight. I must have, 81, 80, 81. So it was late. It was. It was the store had been around since seventy-three. It was at like eighty-one. So was right. that was Kennison managing the Westwood store? Kennison. Kennison was there. Yeah, Kennison was uh, uh, there at the time. He he would hold court there when everybody was gone, and he was in the kitchen, and he would do these long sets, and it was, and after a while, people started to know about it, and it became a, people left from the Hollywood store to, to go to go see Kenneth. So, but you, when you started, you were just doing the, the open mic nights, and you took to it right away. I did, I did, but I, I figured, uh, I got big laughs the first time I went in there, and it was uh, intoxicating. The second time, I, I, uh, I died. Yeah. Terrible. So I the third time, and I was taking a bus. That was during the time they had the Jimmy Carter had the gas prices. So my father had to stand in line to, to get gas, and it was hell to get him to lend me the car. So I had to take a bus, and it, it was really hard. So by the time you went there and you didn't get on, it was really, really uh, a bitch. Uh, and then you you go to the uh, improv where you had to put your name in a hat. And Bud would pull out the name, and I went there three or four times, and he wasn't pulling out my name. I finally told Bud, I said, look, let me go on. Uh, if, if I suck, you don't see my face no more. And he goes, that sounds like a deal. 
and he put me on. <laughs> I, I had a good, I had a good set, and and he and he, he led me on after that. So you were primarily an improv guy at that time. I was, but I I was I'm one of the few guys that was allowed to to go back and forth. I um, why I, there weren't enough Mexicans. I was a, I was a three-headed mule, I guess. I, I was a, the uh, oddity, you know. I, I was the... And, you know, uh, frankly, I make no bones about it. I used that. I made my bed, and I'm, I'm happy to, to, to lay in it because at the time, I, I used to have a mustache. I favored Freddie Prince, and he, uh, girls used to tell me that, and you kind of look like Freddie Prince. And really, that's what really uh, impulsed me to... You know, a lot of guys said, well, I went into comedy, you know, to, to tell... We, we go in there to get laid, you know? There's something about the, the stage that, yeah. that attracts uh, females or whatever. But I had a, a mustache, and I, I kind of favored Freddie Prince. And uh, and Bud was the first one to go, take it off. T- take off that the, the mustache. He says, you, you can't compete with a dead guy. Oh, yeah. So so I I took it off, and, and, and then I was going to the comedy store on Monday nights. Were you a fan of Freddie Prince's? I was. I was a fan. I was a fan. It's weird that, like, at that time, if you think about it, I mean, how many Latino comics were there? There weren't that many, right? No, there, there weren't uh, any at all. I mean, there was Bobby Aguayo. I don't know where he is, but he was a nice guy. Yeah. Bobby Aguayo and Danny Mora. Danny Mora, Danny right. Mora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a class, and I still look up to him, but, but none of them ever got got their shot unfairly too i think well at the time okay so you go so you did some open mics in westwood then you get in at the improv right and then what what is uh how do you get in how do you get in front of mitzi how does that happen argus hamilton oh yeah argus argus hamilton had seen me and he says i'm gonna talk to mitzi and uh he did yeah uh he talked to her in bed i think sure and uh and uh <laughs> it worked i went out there uh, at the time i was a prop comic i used to have the, the knife my joke was the american express card and and it was cheap, and you look back, you know, like most comedy yourself, you might look at your tape of your early stuff, and you go, you cringe, right? Yeah. But it worked. Yeah. It worked back then, and who could argue with success? Well, did you have like a suitcase full of props? Was that? No, I wasn't. I wasn't quite the carrot top, or or, or uh, I had a knife, and the joke was at the time there was a very popular commercial about American Express. They used to go, "Hi, my name is so and so," and when I travel, people don't know my name. Yeah. That's why I carry the American Express card. Sure. Yeah. I would say, uh, well, my name is Paul Rodriguez, and when I travel, people don't know who I am, but I carry the Mexican Express card, and I pull out this big old knife. Yeah. And I go, "It's it's 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 recognized and respected all over the world." Don't leave home without it. And and audiences would howl. Mexicans, uh, the Mexican-Americans would go, oh, that's, you're making fun of us. That's cheap. You know, all kinds of criticism. But I said, hey, fuck you. I, I'm not representing Mexicans. I'm, I'm trying to get a job here. You know, and that got me noticed. And Mitzi liked it. And uh, and she made me a regular. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a success now. But it, it wasn't like that. I was, uh, I, I was in charge of the parking lot. Sure, I had that job once. You know, yeah, yeah. So you were regular, and and she gave you a job in the lot. Uh, and I, I said, oh man, that was. I thought it was. I was angry. I said, oh man, what am I doing? And then Harris Pete, uh, sure, a legendary guy. He said, listen, Rodriguez, come here. Let me tell you something. That's a great job. That's yeah. a really, really good job because if 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 uh, Richard Pryor or all these guys with these fancy cars, if they're gonna come and give you the keys to their car. They want to know all about you. They yeah. want to know who you are. What are you doing? <laughs> Who's this guy? Yeah, you know. And, and true enough, I, I, I uh, uh, it happened to be Richard Pryor was was one of the guys. And I remember he sent me, he sent me down to this liquor store to go get him a pack of Marlboro Reds. Box. Uh-huh. He gave me a hundred bucks in his car, and there I was, man, in his car. And I went, to, I got him. A, Did you go down the pink dot on Sunset? Yeah, it's, it wasn't pink dot then. But I, I forget a- what it was. It was a. Uh, three, three, three guys from Italy or something. Oh like yeah, that. it was a liquor store though. It was a liquor store. Yeah, I went over there and uh, I remember I, he gave me a hundred dollar bill, and I bought 
two uh, packs of uh, Marlboro box and uh, and the change. And I, I went over there and I parked the car. And I, he was sitting there at that little uh, uh, table where Mitzi Shore uh, sure. sat in the original. Right. Room? And I said, "Here you go, Mr. Pryor." And, and I put the, and I count started to count out the change. And yeah. he looked at me like, like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I said, "I said twenty, thirty, forty. He goes. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Keep it. <laughs> I said, you know, you gave me a hundred. I know what I gave you. <laughs> he almost annoyed him, but I couldn't believe yeah. no, nobody ever tipped me. I think I think the cigarettes were uh, maybe maybe six bucks. Right, yeah. And, and I, I got to keep all this. That was more than I was making at the comedy store all week. Yeah. And he, he was, was just hanging around then, huh? It was the mid-80s? What yeah, was it, 82? Yeah, he was, he, was, uh, he was working. But he wasn't. They weren't announcing it. He was preparing to do the uh, the, the, the live show. on the Sunset Strip, exactly. I think. And everybody would come, as you would remember. Everybody would come, and and they would all sit there and watch him struggle on Monday. You know, he'd go up there and and he'd start on a bit, and it wouldn't last. It, it wasn't quite done. Yeah. And uh, but you got but, to watch that. Yeah. But as the week went along, by the time by the time uh, Friday, he'd add a little piece to it, a little piece to it, and. He would do Mudbone. He did the the Dracula bit. He did all this, and uh, and and Mooney really was the, the the brains behind all that. And Paul Mooney was working with him then, huh? Like yeah. he would he would sit there and watch him and make notes and do that whole thing. I always thought that Mooney really was was the. I mean, Pryor had talent, of course, but uh, I always thought that Mooney was uh, really the the material was Mooney's. Yeah, Mooney would he come got up, it into shape. Yeah, he did. He would he would basically give it, and then Pryor would put it together and. And it was uh, it was magic, you know. Wow! So that that partnership was pretty solid. Pretty solid. Uh, How is Paul doing? Paul's Paul. The last time I saw Paul, uh, I hear he's not doing well, and that's gonna be sad because when he goes, and and Paul, if you're listening, I, I hope you're around forever. But when he goes, that will really be a milestone. I mean, Pryor got all the, uh, you know, not to be corny, but the, the really the wind the wind beneath his wings, really because of. of Paul Mooney was on on, on on Richard's show, and and he was, but really the material, the the, sure. the genius, the the biting, the the. Uh, he was like the guy that would. He was like uh, half of Richard's brain. I, I think so, because if you listen to to, to uh, Mooney, you see, you hear a lot of uh, prior stuff, and even some comics will will accuse Mooney. Goes, oh man, he's just doing. No, he was doing prior. No, the truth is, Pryor was doing Mooney. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, obviously. And then he co-wrote that movie, right? The JoJo Dancer movie. He, didn't he? He wrote a lot of stuff. He and I wrote a script called uh, uh, Blacksigans. Uh-huh. You know, and we were almost. Uh, we went <laughs> yeah. down to Magnolia. We we to uh, uh, the films. We had a deal, and then yeah. and then uh, Mooney uh, saw another black guy there that he didn't like, and he blew the deal on that. And I said, I begged him. I said, man, who who the fuck is that guy? He goes, no, nah, brother, no, nah, this ain't going to go nowhere. So it, we had a deal for this movie, and then uh, it, it wasn't, and it's still out there if anybody cares. Because he got, he got pissed off at somebody? He was, you know, Mooney's still a very particular person. He don't suffer no fools, you know? But when you were there in 82 or 83, parking cars, I yeah. mean, who were the people that we, you saw all the time? Well, the big ones was uh, uh, Williams, the late great Robin Williams was there all the time. Uh, Roseanne, one, Roseanne, no, not really, not right at that time. Uh, uh, you know who was big at the time? Uh, uh, the unknown comic, Murray Langston. Oh, really? Believe it or not, Murray Langston was the man <laughs> with the bag on his with head. With the bag on his head, he was he was the man. Also, uh, 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 
uh, Letterman. Letterman. Sure. Letterman was uh, emceeing a lot. Really? When you were there in the 80s uh, still? Or no? Yeah, but he had gone out with Helen Reddy. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, Jeff Wall had taken up, but he would come, he was uh, hosting. Uh-huh. He, was, uh-huh. he was doing hosting. And with, I guess some of, uh, you see a lot of a lot of the things that, that made him famous, his sarcasm sure. was right there. He was hosting in like the, uh, in the OR? In the OR, yeah, no the kidding. Original. They had they don't even have hosts anymore. Uh, they don't. Shanlin, Shanlin, yeah, Shanlin. Yeah. Uh, who else was there? Uh, that was the heyday. As far as women, Elaine Boozler was the the main one. She no was, kidding. Yeah, Elaine Boozler. Uh, I've always thought Sandra she was, Bernhardt. Sandra Bernhardt. I always thought Elaine Boozler. I've great. Always, yeah, she was great. All the comedians. She's the the least uh, uh, un- under uh, appreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she really did. She really took her job seriously. She really had good, uh, solid material. You know. So you were going on what, like every night and doing the lot? Was it one of those things where you work in the lot, then you have to go do your spot and then go back out to the lot? People be waiting for their car. Mike Binder would get drunk and you would. Binder. Binder, what a great guy. He uh, saw him the other night. Yeah? Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. I I owe him so much. We hung out for a long time, you know, and uh, I did. uh, He's the first one that took me to. Detroit, he did the Detroit Comedy Jam. That's where he's from. Right. That, that was right. That was his show. He put that together, Dave right? Couillere, uh, Howie Mandel, and myself. Yeah. And uh, had a great time there. Uh, and so you knew him before he got sober? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I party with him. He, he, was, he was a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> he would. I, I had an, I had a, an apartment yeah. right there uh, on, uh, uh, what's that street? Uh, there's a high, tall apartment buildings. Um Right there, on, right on Sunset Boulevard. Oh, right, where Forks, and uh, you go up the hill there. Or? No, the one that goes the very next street where where the uh, uh, the the Sky Bar is. The, the, the apartments behind there. Oh, okay. I had all my money, put it together, and I, I got an apartment on there. Olive. Right, right there, and and I, we'll go down. Uh, Argus Hamilton will go down there. They were all banging girls in, in my in my uh, apartment, giving me coke because you could walk from the comedy store. Right, you can walk there. You take a girl there. You walk there, and you know, you know the usual. Uh, hey, I just saw your show. You were wonderful. Did you see the first or the second? You know, that's, yeah, that, yeah, that, that sort joke. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, which set? Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, who else was a, a, a viable uh, guy? That Louis Anderson. Yeah, well, he, he he came in later. But Howie Mandel was uh, huge, huge. Yeah, he had he was doing Saint Elsewhere. Right, those are happy days. Howie was probably uh, he wasn't big druggy though. No, no, Howie, yeah. he never. He, I never. I could say that I never yeah. did. Uh, which he, I, maybe he should have, you know, because he wouldn't be so phobic now, you know. <laughs> Got a little germ problem. <laughs> yeah, Shadlin was uh, probably the, the most. Uh, Amazing guy. I remember Murray Becker uh, booking Shanlin and myself uh, to do a Catholic uh, uh, college in San Diego. Uh, he picked us up, and all the way down there, he kept saying, "Look, these are these are these goyim. They, they you know, no, it's clean. It's clean. I think I was getting paid two hundred bucks, <laughs> a lot of money." Gary, come on, you can do. I've seen you do clean sets. I've seen you do do that thing about uh, about how people repeat their names at the airport. You know, looking for so and so, Mister So and So. You know, he's you know, do that. Do that clean. Please, this is a very important account. Yeah. He must have said it 200 times. By the time I went over there, I did my set. And then he opened up with, with uh, there were some nuns there. And he goes, uh, so sister, you, you're going to tell me in your whole life, you've never sucked a cock. <laughs> Gary Shanling did that? <laughs> he did that. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he, uh, he said, but he, in his own way, you know, yeah. he did it. So, you know, like he never kind of, sucked a cock. He, he said, you're gonna, your whole life, you don't know, you never <laughs> suck a cock. And, <laughs> And there was a, 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 a just a, a, a sucking, a, a silence death. Yeah, that, suction, yeah, that uh, vacuum you know, silence. It seemed yeah. like an eternity, and yeah. then the room just 
blew up. Oh, really? Big <laughs> laugh. All the way back, uh, I think they, they held a check. They didn't pay him or something. All the way back, Murray Becker's going, I must, I told you, Gary, this is an important account. I told you, please don't, don't use that filth. Where are you going with that? And then, uh, and then he goes, you never mentioned it. <laughs> I don't remember you saying that. Paul, did, did, did you hear? I go, nah, I may have. Nah, I, didn't hear, I don't know what to do. You know? Yeah, yeah. And he goes, no, nah, if you said that, you should have told me. I would have, you know, I can work clean. He busted his balls. And, and Murray was a, a, a beloved guy. When he passed away at, at his funeral, uh, I think only Leno and Carlin and, and about two or three. Even I was late to that because he had sent me off to, uh, he had sent me off to Boston, I think. He, yeah. Yeah, he was a it was a wonderful guy. I think he should be he should be remembered. I hope he's on the web or something. Murray Becker, he was a so that was who uh, Shanling was with before he went with like Brillstein Gray and whatever. He was the guy that 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 would find you. Yeah, and then some other some, then Brillstein or whatever somebody right. else would come and take you. Sure, yeah, it was a stepping stone. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And and he and it happened to him over and over and over. In my case, I got picked up by Sandy Gallen. Sure, uh, and, uh, and and then you know. I, it was really hard, but yeah. What was your experience with Carlin? I mean, I, 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 Carlin was Carlin was he was a different guy. I've said he was a he was very kind of. I remember I was in I was on Venice Beach one time, and this guy with this uh, hat and hair yeah. came up to me. He goes, uh, "Hey, uh, I saw you uh, on the Tonight Show. Uh, look, uh, it was uh, it was a, it was a good set." And I, I was just kind of blow him off, and I go, "Oh shit, it's it's Carlin." <laughs> He was a. He was very warm. <laughs> he lived me. down Venice, right? I don't know where he uh. lived. I never went to his house, but I know that he supported Murray Becker with money many times. You know, Murray was always going, uh, "Oh, you need money for a plane ticket? I'll get it. I'll talk to Carlin. I'll talk to Carlin." And 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 Carlin always he was always good for for money for Murray. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, he, he took care even of after he wasn't with yeah. him anymore. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I said, uh, "When are you going to ask Leno?" He goes, "That guy's tight." <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your break? What was your big break? The was, Tonight Show. Oh, tell me about like I, I don't know if you talk uh, about it, but like yeah, you said you remember the night that Belushi died. I I, I remember being there. Yeah, at the store. At the store. Because that's where it started. Well, it, every time a big big stars like De Niro and and was there, and yeah. Kathy was a staple. Everybody knew her. The, her ma the manager, Kathy. Uh, no, Kathy was she was she was she was a dealer. There was a lot of dealers there. Oh, the the one that had right there. There, was a, there were a lot okay. of dealers there. That some of them were comedians, quote unquote comedians. Sure, they're but, always yeah. And Mitzi knew all of them because uh, they would supply Argus. Yeah, and Argus at the time had a problem. We all we all had a problem. Sure, but they're always around. There's but, I I don't know who they are now, but yeah, I, that was the case when I was there. There was a you. you everybody knew who they were yeah yeah and uh, of course belushi was uh he was god at the yeah. time i remember i i got him a pack a, pair, a pack of vantage cigarettes that's what he smoked vantage vantage cigarettes huh. and uh, i never you were heard the of cigarette him. guy yeah yeah you know whatever they wanted vantage I, I, had the target on it yeah 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 that it was and i never heard of him but i got him and uh and I gave it to I gave him his pack and he he, he kept the change. He didn't give me no money. <laughs> Let's just say that for the record. Yeah, yeah. So Kathy was the dealer that was implicated in John's death. Yeah, I, I don't know that. I guess uh, yeah. I, don't, I I don't know that to be a fact that she was a dealer or not. I knew that. It, you know how everybody she was knows. There. Sure. Yeah. 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 Somebody's looking. So she for got the dope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you and that's well, that's sort of interesting element of the story. I went home. I went home, and the next day it was the, the biggest news, you know, that he had died. And then you go, it's like it, it's like if you were at a party, and you go home, and then you find out that that the place burned down. You go, whoa. Well, the saddest thing about that is like having you know been around, you know, people doing drugs. Is that I, I imagine 
by the time it got to the point where he was doing that, like that, whatever the party was, you know, at some point it takes a turn and people are like, that's getting a little weird. I it's never saw heroin though. I know, I, I never saw heroin. Yeah. I, I, heroin was such a, heroin was a drug that, that the Vatos used in, 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 in Compton or, you know, yeah. heroin was like, that, that was drugs. Coke wasn't considered a drug. And I didn't know about mixing or none of that stuff. Yeah, I think that some people were like, I, I think some people secretly used it to come down. It, it was innocence, you know, like it's robbed us of so many brilliant guys. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the, the guy that everybody pretty much knew, he, when, uh, he was with Three Arts. Uh, Hedberg? Hedberg, who's, yeah. who's a legend now, you know, so many people. But you kind of you kind of knew because the, uh, Heron was a, a jazz player's kind of thing, you know? Sure. And he had that kind of rhythmic, that kind of thing, you know? Oh, oh yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Mitch, I knew Mitch, Mitch yeah. Mitch, I, I, I knew him in passing, but uh, you people knew that that he would that he used but you never imagined him that to do that i mean a guy's been doing that so long you would think that they'd have control of it Nah, you know, I, it I, got away from him you know i mean there are things you know the yeah it, people didn't know until later i don't think but yeah coke was coke was kind of a comic drug really because it was it was it hyped you up it made you happier yeah, and it was everywhere yeah and you know and yeah. you, you, you could tell the guys who were on coke up there because their jaw was moving back and forth <laughs> and i remember kennison and and uh, all of us uh uh putting our dollars together, you know, hey, here, buy a, a quarter. Sure. I remember the first time I saw uh, $50 worth of Coke, I couldn't believe it. I, I kept telling them, come on, don't fuck around. Where's the rest of it? It's this little, little <laughs> yeah, package. Yeah, little pile, yeah. And, uh, we're yeah at this that's little, it? Yeah, that was it. I said, damn. That, Where were you? It was too expensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we weren't making no money at the time. But the minute you did make money, the, the thing was you're supposed to come back and, and party everybody out. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's your turn to share. Yeah. yeah. To I give remember, back to the community. When I got my <laughs> ideal, I went back there and I had a bag and I remember all those guys. Uh, when was your first Tonight Show? Oh, it was after, it was when the premiere, A.K. Pablo. Yeah. That's when I got it. That was I, your big break, your sitcom. Yeah. I had tried to audition before and, uh, and uh, uh, Macaulay and the Cordova said, uh, well, you know, I don't know, it's too Mexican. But Norman Lear had a, a lot of... Uh, and him and he told him and and I did the set and and of course it was my dream because that's the first time I ever saw Freddie Prince was when uh, sure uh, Johnny called him over and I went out there and I did and he called me over and I sat down and I did the Tonight Show twelve times with uh, Johnny with Johnny yeah. yeah well once with uh with uh, a guest host uh, uh she's still alive the the old, what's her name uh, uh Betty White. Oh, she held. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I uh -huh. did a part on on on, on um, Golden Girls. The Golden Girls. Uh huh. And uh, and then she was doing the Tonight Show. She invited me. She's a sweet lady. She's still around, and man, it's unbelievable. She's like a hundred, I think now. I don't know what she is, but you know, just to, to be all there. I mean, she's she's not. Uh, uh, her mind is all there. You same, talk to her. Same with Lear. Lear, yeah. I just I saw Lear not too long ago. Mel Brooks. There's some of them, the old, the old people. They got they got the brains on it fire. Has, uh, the comedy has to have something to do with that, I think, because they're not the only ones. Some comedians uh, they, they either die really young, yeah, or, or 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 really old, you know. Yeah. So what happened with A.K.A. Pablo? That was a Norman Lear show. A Norman Lear show. You know, in hindsight, a lot of things. I knew there was problems at the beginning. Yeah. First of all, to 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 white America. We uh we all sound the same, but to Latinos we we know the difference between a Puerto Rican accent and, and a Cuban accent and a Mexican sure. accent. Yeah, and they cross casted. You know they they put uh they they put my father was uh Joe Santos Italian and uh -huh. and then my mother was uh Katie Jurado Mexican. So it, right, it didn't work. It, but but the attempt was good. I I, I just on they honored uh, Norman Lear not too long ago in downtown, and I was there. 
I still thank him, man. He took me from sleeping in the in the car of a uh, of the parking lot of the comedy store to uh, put me in a in, in a tax bracket. That, that uh, I'll always thank him for that. He gave sure. me a, a pay or play deal for lots of money. Yeah, he was a very generous, man. He wrote a script uh, that's really funny. It's it's about these uh, older uh, people. It's called Guess Who Died. It's about these guys. I read for a part and. <laughs> And uh, you know, I hope I, I get it. It's know? a new project. Yeah. It, well, yeah. It, yeah. It's a new project. I don't think I will, but but just the fact that he that I was allowed to, to read for it. So over the years, after that, you did some other TV stuff. But I mean, but like uh, you didn't have like the long run. No, I had no long run at all. Yeah. I did eight episodes, and it's so ironic because I got canceled with a twenty-eight share. You know what a twenty-eight share is now? I know that's unheard of. Unheard of, but yeah. back then you had to have the thirties or forties. Really? Then. Yeah. It was, and I, and I could it could have gone on. But it, it, I, I wanted to, uh, to to tell Norman, look, you're not doing this right. But I didn't want to come off as a smart ass. But I knew that it wasn't gonna work. Yeah. Because uh, still, it doesn't work to this day. Latinos are a nebulous crowd. You know, to find a show that Cubans like, that Puerto Ricans like, that Mexicans like is it, it, the only thing that that they like is soccer. That's the only thing we have in common. You know. It's, it's very hard. Jane the Virgin's doing okay. Jane the Virgin, I, 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 that girl is. She's great. But if you notice, it's not Latino base. It's she just happens to be Latino, but her humor crosses over. She's she's a, she's a very nice. It seems like the family situation is pretty Latino based. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I <laughs> don't see it all the time. But yeah. She went to my house, and I I knew she was. Eddie almost introduced me to her, and uh, I, I I certainly I wish her well. You know. Yeah. I did a play about the, the lack of a, I did a play called The Pitch at the Los Angeles Theater uh, about that, about the, the, the absence of, of, of Latinos seeing us how we're more numerous than, than African-Americans, sure. you know? And, uh, Why do you think it is? It's our passivity. Huh. I think we're, we're, we, don't, we don't protest. Not that protesting is necessary, but, you know, African-Americans complained a couple of years ago that, that the Oscars are too white. Mm-hmm. The, the the business does have that that uh, it will respond to that criticism, but I don't think our day is going to come uh, like that. I think I think there there are shows that are are a hit, but there are hit uh, a secret hit uh, among our community. But for a crossover show, it hasn't been since the Lopez show. Right now, there's one on on YouTube about a Cuban family. I hope it does well. But there should be more. I mean, there's more channels. There's George more. did okay, huh? George did okay for 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 several years. You know, yeah, he had. Back, he had great writers. The showrunners, probably one of the best. And it was funny if you look at it. Ultimately, I think nobody sits down to see a show about blacks or about Jews or about that. Yeah, they sit down to see something that's funny. If it's sure. funny, it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I hope to, I hope to, to try again. Well, I'm, I'm sure you will. So, like over the years, though, like you just kind of chipped away. You just kind of did gigs. You did specials. You hosted things. You, like it's not. It's interesting because you're pretty much a household name. Everyone knows who you are. But you didn't. It's not like you did a Seinfeld. You no, know, you no, just, no. you just never went away. No, I, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly, I wouldn't say easy, but it's fairly possible yeah. to, to be famous for, for a, a year or two and then just fade away. Uh-huh. The hardest thing is to remain in, in the eye. You're always looking for some, some trick, some, some way, you know, uh, almost ambulance chasing, you know, if there's a, if there's a hurricane relief, you're there, you know, sure. and, and, and you feel, you feel like a, some kind of a, a media whore, but if you don't do that, you're not going to sell tickets, uh-huh. you know, and, and my whole drive was always to, to have enough of a name that when the, you're out in some city and the, your name's out there, people will come and see you, even if they don't know much about you, but if they heard your name, they'll, yeah. they'll come to see you, then, then you got to do but it. But you, you also feel bad for the victims of the hurricane. 
Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hope Puerto Rico recovers right away. You know, every I've been I've been uh, every hurricane, every comic relief. Yeah. You know, uh, when Chris Albrick was president of a. Uh, HBO. Of, uh, HBO. Yeah. He was my agent at ICM, and he was very good to me. He gave me HBO specials that perhaps I didn't deserve. I, I, I wasn't prepared for that, but I took them, you know, and, and you, you learn. I'm I'm comfortable with being the Mexican comic, although if you look at my act uh, now, it, it, it'll, it, it works in, in, in Rochester, New York, you know. You learn that, uh, but I don't complain. If that's all you're known for, yeah, you're known for something. You know? Well, there's definitely a, a, a Latino comic scene now. I mean, there they're, is. They're, 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 and we lost uh, Freddie a few years yeah. ago, Freddie Soto, right? He right. was great. He was doing good. Very yeah, good. and uh, Madrigal. But there's a whole bunch of them. I, you know, I need to get out more. You know, and, uh, 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 One of the, the saddest ones was, uh, uh, he was great in, in, in the roast. Um, oh, Geraldo? Harvard educated, very yeah. intelligent. But again, he, he had some series. It didn't work. Uh, but he his talent was amazing. He's great. I'm, I'm sorry. Great comic. He was really really good. Sharp guy. He did. He had very astute points of view. So when when you did the special, like I, I just I was before you came over, I was thinking about it. You did. I remember seeing the special you did at San Quentin. Right. And I thought that was crazy. Well, it was, but it, it, I had it. How that happened was the Sunday comics. Remember that they had that show. They decided to go to San Quentin. And I went there with Richard Jenny, Elaine Boozler, George Wallace. I forget who the other guy was. Uh, uh, anyways, and they told you, don't jump out into the audience. Yeah. Well, I was the second to the last, and uh, they had all done very well. And I, I, said, I said, what am I going to do? So I saw this huge Samoan guy, and I just jumped off stage, and I just took a chance. And I walked up to him, and I go, I hope never to land here, but if I ever do... I want to be your bitch, you know? <laughs> and he stood up, and he was a towering guy, and, and he laughed, and that caught the imagination. And somehow people remember that, you know? It was kind of like when you did the Rodney Dangerfield special. Sure, sure, right. It was I always it. one yeah. that stood out, you know? Right, right. It's a very gimmicky kind of thing, but it didn't really matter what you did as long as, as, long as they remember. You know, you see a whole show, and then you go, oh, so-and-so was good, or, or so-and-so did this, or you did that. Yeah. When Bobcat, who was a brilliant guy, when he set the chair on fire on, um, on the Tonight Show, yeah. he never went back, but everybody remembers that. So sometimes you, you almost feel like you have to be like a, uh, like a P.T. Barnum in a sense. You yeah, know? but you weren't thinking that when you did it, were you? You just sort of... Were... Well, I, I, I just saw Richard Jenny destroyed. Uh, you need Boozler. to do some crowd work. You got to do yeah. a little recon. Elaine, yeah, Elaine Boozler had a vagina. Yeah. You know, that, that, that was very popular in prison. Yeah. So I, I saw this and I said, man, I, I don't know. I got nothing to lose. I jumped out there. And it well, worked. Forty percent of the audience is Latino, yeah. so, so you know it was like a high school reunion. And I squeezed that out. You know, I got, uh, I did uh, three, three HBO specials. Well, I remember that. I just remember the special. It was crazy. I think Jeff Ross did one later uh, at the prison, but like you did, uh, like the first one I'd seen in a prison. I just the moment I remember is that you know it's it, it, it prisons when you're inside right. there because I did a show at a women's prison once. It's a different world. It is. It's not comfortable, and it's 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 a little visceral and weird. And like I just. Remember Remember on when I'm watching yours, they kept like cutting to the audience, yeah. and I, you know, there were definitely some, you know, some men who were dressed as women, yeah. And, and it, there was a moment where I'm like, I'm not sure they want to be seen in the <laughs> audience. You know what I mean? You know, the, the 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 camera is a weird thing. The camera, uh, it is it is a drug. It's alluring to them. Yeah. It, there are people that would confess a, a crime just to be on TV. Right. And uh, I remember what I did. I did a dramedy. I tried to do interviews, and I got a, I got an opportunity to interview some of the guys from the M.A., the the Mexican mafia who yeah. 
who really run the show. Yeah. Uh, how? I don't know, but they do. And the cards will tell you. And I interview these guys, and, and these are guys that, that, that have done whatever they've done to get there. They're, sure. But what really astonished me about all these guys that I interviewed is that their parents, you know, they're in jail and they're concerned about their kids. They don't want their kids to follow them in the family business. And, uh, and they use whatever uh, powers they have to try to do that. And I remember uh, them saying, look, one of them, I got a word, says, look, I, I want to be on your show. I want to say this to all the kids out there. And uh, he said, listen, you, if you ever come in here, I will fuck you in the ass. And you could, you know, all this threatening him. And he goes, thanks, Paul. And I go, am I going to put this on? <laughs> and I go, uh, to my producer, I said, I don't know. He goes, fuck yeah, I'm going to put it on. Because he told me, this better be on. Yeah, I said, it's going to be on. <laughs> here's your PSA. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that, uh, that hit a chord with a lot of people got a lot of mail and stuff like that and he goes some of it was like how can you put this killer this guy did this this guy did that yeah. but i also got mail from you know my kid is respects and uh, admires that guy he wants that's what they want to be and uh it straightened him out and, go, and what show was this for it was for the san quentin live oh, oh, I, oh I, you you interviewed guys in, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i went over there and i i took ice t he was a rapper he wasn't all that well known but yeah he did a, he did that and then i i went i did a show but mostly i walked around the yard and i interviewed guys i interviewed uh uh some of the black gorilla family uh, and some of the guys from the ma and these are it's very segregated in prison i don't know if you if you're aware of that I didn't have no guards, and they respected that. I didn't have no guards looking after me. Because I figured, look, if they're going to get you, they can get you in there. They can get you out there. Yeah. They got a long reach out there. And uh, I interviewed some of the guys from from the Aryan. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they all wanted to talk. And these guys are, you know, they, they I, I said to myself, what am I going to ask these guys? And I, I remember asking them, uh, do, you, do you have kids? He goes, yeah. Do you have parents? Yeah. Would you like, and then just mention their kids, they become human again. Uh-huh. They start talking about, yeah, you know, I, 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 I worry about this and I worry about that. Right. Because they must feel guilty about the, you know, being admired in, in a weird, in a morbid way. I remember uh, Richard Ramirez, uh, the Night Stalker, yeah. wanting my autograph. and He was there? He was there at the time. He, he later moved. <clears throat> he said, hey, Holmes. Hey, I'm famous too. <laughs> that was it, huh? He won my autograph, and I said, "Ah, <sighs> you're not famous. <laughs> you're not famous. <laughs> you're not famous for the right reasons. Yeah, you're infamous. I'll get yeah, back to infamous, you. right? I didn't get bad. I didn't get nasty with him because he's just—he just had a, a really weird way. I met Charles Manson. You did, but he didn't want to go on camera. Uh, he didn't want to go on camera. He goes, uh, no, no. He goes, uh, uh, he wanted to get paid a certain amount. That, that you know, he'd become real famous. Sure. You know, he, he had got married and everything. He had, he had a whole. They told me that he had a, uh, like a, a, a whole male section just for him. That there were offerings of marriage and stuff. That is just. Did you uh, talk to Manson at all? I mean, or not really? I, I said a couple of words, but he, he had nothing to do with me. Uh, you do that. You're, you're the Mexican guy. He had, apparently, he got beaten up or something. Uh, he, uh, he had a fight with some other Latino, and I, uh, so at the, if he didn't got beat I up, can't, I can't imagine being around those. It's just too weird. But it, it was weird. It was weird because you know you've seen these guys, and there's a part of you that goes, "Wow, they're you know I'm, I'm, this is a good story," you know. And then it's another part of you go, "This motherfucker stabbed a pregnant woman." Well, he didn't actually do it, but I mean, he ordered that yeah, done. He's real evil in there. So, so you go, "Fuck!" Uh, I don't know how you feel about them, you know. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's just a, it, yeah, the, the survival element in jail, the, just that what people need to do to survive in jail, just it, there's an electricity to the be, you know, to the, being in there that was just a little overwhelming for me. It is so unbelievable. For example, Edward Olmos was a very good friend of mine. 
uh, did a movie about the uh, Mexican uh, uh, mafia. Uh-huh. The alleged. There's no such thing, by the way. Let me just sure. say that. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But uh, uh, they uh, they had uh, wanted his death, you know. And I, and I remember taking the opportunity to talk to a couple of guys. I go, why would you want to do that? And, yeah. and the thing that bothered them the most was the. Uh, in the movie, there's a, there's a scene where they uh, they have sex, uh, anal sex. There, that's all there is, you know. In jail, but th- these are very very macho guys. Sure. Who uh, that's the only <clears throat> that's that's prison pussy, I guess. Yeah. And uh, but they don't want that to go out. Sure. You know? and, and they thought that that was he had broken that rule. And I said, you guys like to do your business in in, in the dark and the quiet. If 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 you ever hit any almost, I mean, th- talk about the heat, you know. But on the other hand, what can they do? They're already in there. Is he still around? Eddie? Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Eddie's a, it's a good guy. And as a matter of fact, we have a project together that that uh, we hope to do. Uh, it's uh, three generations. I've been pitching it for the last nine, ten years. Since Ed- there are only two generations? There's three of them. Yeah, yeah, now there is. But you've been pitching it since it was two generations. I'm trying to use my kid, you know. <laughs> my kid is a very popular X game guy. So so we actually shot a, a, a sizzle reel that... that uh, it's very Eddie plays a very uh, racist uh, guy stuck in his own time period. Uh huh. So, but it's three guys in therapy is what yeah. it is. We're just. Uh, oh, that sounds interesting. And, yeah. So what's the new special? It's my uh, au revoir. My my. It's my goodbye, really. You know, to be honest, uh, Mark, I think that's it for me. You know, I'm going to do something that I've always wanted to do, and the next year or so, I plan to just cash in my chips and travel. I always wanted to go to Tibet. I mean, I've been around the world, but I've never seen it. Yeah. I land there, I do a movie, whatever it is, and then I, I, I have to go. leave, yeah. But there's a lot of places I'd like to go without no no time schedule, just to, to go there and travel all through South America. Go to Tibet would be my first place. Where Tibet? I don't know why Tibet, but uh, but I want to go there. I've, yeah. always, I've always had a thing about going. Uh, and where'd you shoot the special? I, I shot in the farthest place from Tibet and, and, and downtown Los Angeles and right on Skid Row. Yeah? Yeah. And and, and people came out. People oh, yeah. came out. You did it outside? No, no. It's, it was an old theater, the old uh, uh, Pan Pacific. It, you know, there's a lot of theaters that have art deco and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They shoot movies there. And I, I remember doing a movie called, uh, with uh, Mario Van Peoples, it was uh, uh, Sweetback's, Sweetback's Sweet, Badass Sweet. Song. You were in Sweetback's, you mm-hmm. were in that? Yeah, yeah, I was in that. And uh, I, I was the Jose the filmographer uh-huh. real good movie if you get a chance yeah i saw and, it uh, they filmed there and i looked at this place and it's it's got story because back in the day people used to dress up going to the movies was a was a was a thing you know? yeah yeah now you know some guys jerking off and uh, no one goes to movies no one goes to movies yeah. but uh, the theaters that were art deco and beautiful and we shot it there and that's no, great came out good yeah that's great man yeah. so uh, so you're gonna travel with no cameras just gonna go experience it just just gonna go man just you know I, you got a wife no, I have no wife. Okay. That, that's why I'm gonna go. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to go. You know, I I read the uh, the 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 motorcycle diaries. And yeah, I read uh, Kerouac, and I read a lot of things. And I'm not doing this for any other artistic reason other than I want to spend time in Argentina. You know. Yeah. I want to sell the house and uh, uh, sell the whatever properties uh, that I, I want to liquefy myself. And I'm not gonna go ritzy. I'm just a, a backpack in an American Express or whatever. You know. Sure. Don't, I'm gonna hostel here. Yeah, and you know I've been told that it's dangerous. But if I wait any longer, I'll be too old and too feeble. You know. Yeah. Right now, I'm still uh, I'm still healthy. I, I can I can still walk. And well, that sounds like a great uh, idea. Yeah, but it's not for sure. I'm not gonna. There's no taping or nothing. Uh, maybe you'll write something. If I could write, I would. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe I'll, I'll I want to go down to take some notes all over. I want to go all over uh, Latin America. You know. Oh yeah. I want to go to uh, Belize. I want to go to. Uh, 
uh, Iztapa. I want to go to all those places, not as a tourist, but walk around and see what see what, hang out, see where the, where death catches me. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, you know, maybe you want to catch death somewhere out on the road. Well, my my kid, my kid uh, is always telling me, he goes. Why do you want to do that? If 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 you're gonna talk like that, make sure it's, it's nearby where they have an airport. I don't want to have to f- fly <laughs> to Brazil in some jungle and find bits and pieces of you. But it's not gonna be like that. I, I've always uh I've always dreamed about going somewhere and dying. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I've died plenty of times on stage. You know, for me to get a heart attack in yeah. Lithuania. Is, is oh, not Lithuania. Yeah. Make it nicer than Lithuania. I want to go to the Czech Republic. I hear uh, the babes there are. Oh yeah, there's a lot of porn there. Oh yeah, that's it. So you want to go get involved in the uh, Baltic porn business? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I could just. I bet I. I could. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I could star in some. Yeah. You know, porn in East LA. Sure, you know, <laughs> Paul Rodriguez. His comeback is in uh, uh, Lithuanian porn. <laughs> <laughs> it could be worse. He yeah. plays the Mexican guy. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll notice. <laughs> yeah, you know, that'd be a challenge, man. I'd like to get a role. Uh, I'd like to be a uh, play a role, a Chinese guy, which actually I did in, in a movie with Burt Reynolds. You right? did? Yeah, a very forgettable movie called uh, about, about volleyball team. I don't even know if it, if it got released, but uh, I would like to play uh, uh, someone that's uh, that's not Latino. That that would be that would be the name of the movie. Yeah, not Rodriguez is not the Latino. It's a showcase for you. Actually, I played Fre- I played uh, uh, Pacheco, but he was Latino, but not really. Doctor Freddy Pacheco and Ali. Yeah, a lot of makeup and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've been very fortunate. I'm not. No, I'm not going to win no Oscar. There's no danger of that. But I've done quite a few films that I'm, I got to meet a lot of people. You know. Yeah, it seems like you had a, a good career overall. You know, the pool's in, the patio's dry. Yeah. But I'm one of those guys that, uh, you know, I never really hit, but I never went away. Yeah, exactly. That's all right. It's, it's good. You, yeah, because you're still alive and you didn't have to deal with all that pressure. And there's no sexual harassment. There's no yeah. There's no women coming out going, he fingered me without my permission. <laughs> I did finger somebody, but I had to pay. I did the old-fashioned way. I pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's great talking to you. Thanks, man. Thanks and, for this opportunity. And yeah, and, and uh, you know, d- try not to die in the jungle. I think your kid's right. <laughs> uh, I think I'll. Uh, I think I'll, I'm going to travel, and then if I can remember what I did, I'll uh, I'll write a road story or something. You know. Great. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. All right. So that was me and Paul. Seems like an okay fella. Paul Rodriguez, The Here and Wow, is available to stream now on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and most on-demand platforms. Dig it. Folks, I'm ready to get home. And when I get home, I'll tell you what I did here. Boomer lives! Boomer lives!